Thank you all. Thank you just for showing up this morning on this rainy day. You just received a wonderful reason not to go to worship when you woke up this morning. Oh, it's raining. I'll just stay in bed. But no, you made a choice to be here. And so thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are in this thing we're calling the Jesus Series, and all throughout this school year, we're looking at the life of Jesus in a mostly chronological order. And today, we need to talk about a topic that ties directly into the Jesus Series. I mean, after all, that is what we're doing as a church, right? You show up on Sunday morning, we're talking about something that you read over the course of the week, and so we need to talk about a topic that ties directly into the Jesus series, and this topic also ties directly into this time of year, and here we are in this beautiful, festive-looking spot, and the topic that I need to address with you this morning might not be obvious, but it is an important one, especially at this time of year. We need to talk about grief. We need to talk about grief. We need to talk about mourning. You know, just last Sunday after worship, I had a conversation with one of our members who was struggling with a fresh wave of grief over a lost loved one, someone that he lost years ago. There was an event that took place that just triggered that grief, and it all came back fresh. And so many of you in this room, you know exactly the type of thing I'm talking about. You've lost a loved one, you've lost someone close to you, and maybe that person passed years and years ago, and then something happens, right? You're up in the attic and you're opening up the Christmas decorations and you take that one ornament out and you remember that person and whoa, you're right back there. And that, that grief feels so fresh and so new and so real. And we need to talk about grief. We need to talk about mourning because for some reason in our culture, we do a fairly lousy job of dealing with and processing our grief and talking about our grief. Just, uh, well, it seems like just a few months ago, it was in early August, I had a bit of a, a triggering experience myself. I was driving past uh, my childhood home, the home that I grew up in, and, and so many of you in this room right now, you know my story. I've, I've lost both my parents, and my father died in uh, 2014, March of 2014. My mother died more recently in February of 2022. Wow, that recently, it's wild. And so after my mom passed, uh, you know, I was... In addition to being the grieving son, I was the executor of the estate, and we had to clean out the house, and we had to sell that house, and there's so much stuff that needs to be dealt with, and so many of you in this room, you know exactly the type of thing I'm talking about. There's so much business. There's meeting with lawyers, and going to probate court, and you know, going to get things notarized, and emptying out a house, and all this stuff needs to be taken. There's a lot of business when someone dies, a lot of business. And so for so many of us, when we're in that kind of a spot, there's this sort of shift that takes place. It's like, okay, I'm sad, I'm grieving, but I kind of have to just put that to the side so I can do what needs to be done. There's work that needs to be done. I need to do what needs to be done. And so over the course of that time, after my mom passed, we did all this business stuff, and then we sold that house November 30th of 2022, correct? And so we just had the anniversary of that being sold. Is that an anniversary worth celebrating? Probably not. <laughs> but just this past week, I realized, wow, it was a year ago that we officially closed on that house. And so anyway, we go through that process, and we go through all that busyness, and then in early August, I was driving past the house, and I see the new owners cleaning stuff out, like my old stuff. That was my dishwasher once upon a time, right? Not that I have a lot of strong emotional ties to the dishwasher, but I just saw this thing being emptied out, right? And something just snapped. Something clicked. And I felt this fresh 
wave of grief, not only over my, my mother, but also over my father and also over my grandparents. Now, my, my grandmother died after my mom, so my mom's mom died after my mom. Everybody in my family dies out of order. We really got to get this straight. Anyway, and so I was also the executor of my grandmother's estate, and that kind of overlapped, and so there's all this busyness to deal with, and then I see this house being cleaned out, and just boom, I was hit with it. And so what I did was <clears throat> I followed my own advice, which is something we should all do, by the way. I thought to myself, if I came to myself seeking advice, what would I say? And I would say, Josh, you need to go talk to somebody. And so I went, and I talked to somebody. And I met with a counselor, a counselor that works specifically with pastors. That's a, a fun bonus. And so I, I met with this counselor, and I just said, you know, I'm feeling this fresh wave of guilt. And we talked through that whole thing. We talked through what I was feeling, and he encouraged me that I need to spend some time. You know, after all this business, I need to spend some time feeling my feelings, having those memories, not pushing them back, but actually having those memories, welcoming them in. And he specifically encouraged me to go back, go back to places that were important to your parents. Have those memories. And yes, it will be tough, but experience that tough. And go back to those places that you had those memories with your grandparents and experience those memories and feel that pain. And yes, it will be tough, but it will be cathartic and it will be healing. There's a place up in the Poconos that was very important to my parents. In fact, we scattered their ashes there. Uh, we didn't ask permission. We just did it. I don't know how that works. Um, but after we did that, I made a vow. I'm never going back there again. Didn't I make that vow? This is it. I'm, it's just too sad. I'm never going back there again. Same thing after my grandmother passed. She lived in Myrtle Beach, and so I went down there. I had to take care of some business there. I was the executor of that estate, so we had to take care of these things. And I said to myself, I'm never going back there again. And then my counselor said, well, maybe you should think about going back there again. Have those memories. Let it be difficult. Let it be awful, but also let it be fun. And remember, and smile, and laugh, and go through it. How much of our lives do we spend just trying to avoid going through it? We don't do a good job of dealing with grief. And you might wonder, why am I telling you all this personal stuff? Well, I'm trying, friends. I'm trying to lead by example here. You are allowed to experience grief. You are allowed to feel sad over your lost loved ones. And I need to tell you, friends, there's no expiration date on your grief. You could have lost someone decades and decades ago. You're still allowed to feel that grief, to feel that weight. You know, sometimes we, we try to hide our grief and hide our pain so that we don't impact other people, you know? Sometimes we do that. Well, I'm just trying to be polite, and I don't want to bum other people out. You know, it's the Christmas season, and I'm really missing my lost loved ones, but everybody's singing songs, and they're, they're eating pumpkin pie, and they're doing some caroling, and there's a fire roaring, and so I don't want to bring the room down with my sadness. No. Listen, you're allowed to feel your feelings. Let me grant you permission as if you needed it. You need to be able to feel your feelings. The passage that we're looking at today is from Matthew 14, and this is an occasion where Jesus, like the Jesus, the Son of God, who is equal to God and one with the Father, where he experiences the sadness of the loss of someone who was close to him and someone who was important to him. If you want to take a look now, if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open up to Matthew 14. And open up your Bible app. We do have some Bibles in the pews if you want to take a look there. And Matthew 14 begins, we learn about the death of John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist, and so far in this Jesus series, we've talked about him, and we talked about him a lot at the beginning of this series, and we've referenced him throughout this series. John the Baptist was so important to the ministry of Jesus. John the Baptist was this opening act. He was sent before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. And he lays the foundation for the ministry of Jesus. And John the Baptist is the one who identified Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus came before John to be baptized. And John received word from Father God, that's him. That's my son whom I love. There's your Messiah standing right in front of you. And John heard those words from God, and he told his disciples, hey, you know the guy we've been waiting for? It's him. And so John was so important to the ministry of Jesus. We know that John and Jesus were somehow related, that John's mom, Elizabeth, and the mother of Jesus, Mary, they were related somehow, and so there was a familial tie in some way between John the Baptist and Jesus. But the role that he played in the life and the ministry of Jesus was so essential, was so vital. And so in the beginning of Matthew 14, we find out that John the Baptist has been put to death. And in verse 13, Jesus learns this news. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. Let's not miss all these details here. I mean, Matthew has is de is, is devoted a lot of ink to explaining this process. Jesus hears about the death of John the Baptist, and he goes to a secluded place. He withdraws to a secluded place to be by himself, okay? He needs that time away from ministry, a time away from work, a time where he can just be one-on-one -on -one with Father God. He needed that. Sometimes in our culture, we have this idea of Jesus as being a stoic, right? Uh, somehow not emotional and very logical and matter-of-fact. And Jesus was absolutely logical, and there was lots of things that I believe are stoic about him in nature. And yet, we are made in the image of God. We have emotions. So does God. So does Jesus. I mean, later on, we're going to see when Lazarus, his friend, dies, and when Lazarus dies, I mean, Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows there's going to be a resurrection, but even when his friend dies, Jesus weeps. And so Jesus receives, in this instance, he receives the news of the death of John the Baptist, and he could just say, you know what, well, he's going to be in heaven, and I'll be there soon, and we'll all meet up then, and it'll be fine. No, he has an emotional response to that. He's gone. So he hears this news, this troubling news, and he withdraws to a secluded place to be by himself. And when the people heard of this, they said, you know what, let's give him some space. He's dealing with some stuff. We don't want to bother him right now. No. When the people heard that, that this man, this prophet, this Messiah, this healer, when they heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. Word got out. And so here's Jesus on this boat. Guys, give me a break. I'm going to go on this boat by myself. And he gets to the shore. And it's not secluded, is it? They're there. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd. We're going to find out it was thousands. There was a large crowd there, and he felt angry and annoyed. No, it doesn't say that. And he felt compassion for them 
and healed their sick. He didn't say to them, listen, guys, I, I appreciate you showing up, and you know that I can heal you, and I can see there are a lot of sick here, but I just need like an afternoon to myself, so you know, my office hours, you come back Monday, 9 a.m., I'll deal with you then, but in the meantime, now he didn't have that attitude. You can sometimes. You know why you can? Because you're not Jesus, and people don't rely on you the same way they rely on Jesus, okay? They just don't. You're not him. Jesus is Jesus, and he sees these people not as an annoyance, not as, oh, this is an inconvenience, but he sees them and he has compassion. This is one of the things that Matthew tells us. When he sees the people, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion for them. And he heals their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. The hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus could have said, That'd be great. Let's just send these people away. I'm trying to have some time with Father God. I'm trying to get alone with God, so let's get rid of these people. But no, he doesn't say that. Jesus has this agenda. He needs to have this time with Father God, but he's putting it on hold for the moment, just for the moment so he can attend to the needs of other people. Jesus said to them, his, his disciples, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, uh, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Uh, that's not going to go far. There's thousands of people here. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over, the broken pieces. It was about 12 full baskets. Now, when I was but a lad in Sunday school, and we learned about Matthew 14, we breezed past all this grief stuff and just focused on the loaves and fishes. And then later on, in this same chapter, Jesus is going to walk on water. Those are the big, miraculous, wonderful events of Matthew 14. But let's not miss what's going on in Christ's heart as these miracles are taking place. And so there, the multitudes are are gathered. They want to hear from Jesus. They need to be healed by Jesus. And Jesus has compassion for them. And Jesus says, we're going to feed them. He says to his disciples, no, you're going to give them something to eat. The disciples take what they have, and Jesus multiplies it. Is there a lesson there to be learned? I think there is. For us who follow Jesus, let's give Jesus what we have and put it to work and let Jesus multiply what we're capable of of doing. There's something there that we don't want to miss. And of course, there's 12 baskets left over afterwards, 12 full baskets. There's something there too. I mean, the disciples had full, each one of them would have enough, more than enough for themselves, okay? So yes, I can see why we overlook the grief stuff and focus on the miracles. It's a big miracle. It's one of the most famous miracles of Jesus, the multiplying the loaves and fishes. Verse 21, there are about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. So that's 5,000 households were fed by Jesus. He's taken care of the people. He's taught them. He's healed them. He has fed them. And then what happens, verse 22, immediately, after all that work is finished, immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself. And when it was evening, he was there alone. 
Again, Matthew is letting us know how important this is. He withdraws to be secluded by himself. He's on a mountain alone by himself. This is important. Now, those of us who are kind of lean towards being introverts like myself, we have an easier time tapping into that alone time and that need for alone time. But those of you who are extroverts, you might need some extra encouragement there. I mean, here we are as a church, Hope Community Church, community is in our name, and we believe in the absolute importance and the essential nature of spending time together as community. And we share our burdens together as a community. And we share our joys together as a community. And we share our grief together as a community. Absolutely. But there are times you need to get alone with your heavenly Father. Jesus needed that time. So he had time with community. He put his need to grieve and to process. And the more he put that on pause so he could take care of other people. But now he has unpressed that pause button. It's time to be alone with Father God. He spends that time. And then the boat goes. And it's like out at the sea. And there's like wind and waves. And Jesus walks in the water to the boat. And then Peter gets out of the boat and walks towards him. Isn't that great? I mean, that's the big miracle. That's the other big miracle of Matthew 14. There's Jesus walking out on the water, and they think it's a ghost, and they're scared. And then Peter says, if it's you, Lord, call me out to you. And Peter goes out of the boat, and he's walking on the water. It's a miracle. And then Peter gets scared. He looks at the wind. He looks at the waves. He takes his focus off of Jesus, and he begins to sink. And so there's your bonus sermon for today. There's your easy, obvious sermon from Matthew 14. He focused on Jesus so you don't sink. Okay, satisfied? I'll give you that one for free. There's your free sermon. There's such big stuff that happens here in this chapter. I don't want you to miss how important it was for Jesus not to, listen, not to find the time to grieve, not to find some time to mourn, but to make that time to mourn, to make that time to grieve, to prioritize spending that time one-on-one with Father God, to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit. Now, I've said this before in small groups and in sermons, and I will say it again. If Jesus, who was and is one with Father God, if Jesus, all throughout the gospel, if he needs to make time in prayer with Father God a priority, how much more do we need to make prayer a priority in our lives, time with Father God, a priority in our lives. I mean, if anybody in the world could say, eh, I don't really need to pray, it was Jesus. Say, what am I going to do? I am God. What am I going to talk to myself? He could have made that excuse, but he needed that closeness, that fellowship, that communion, that, that conversation with Father God. If he needed it, how much more do we need to make that a priority in our lives? How's your prayer life right now? How is it? A little superficial, maybe, for some of you. If Jesus needed it, how much more do we need it? And let's get more specific to the topic of today. If Jesus needed to spend that time, needed to make and schedule a time to mourn, how much more do we? We need to do this to open up the calendar, open up the schedule book and say, I am taking off this day. I am taking off this weekend. I am going to spend some time dealing with what's going on in here. We need, we need to do that. I believe it. I'm doing it next year. I spend some time in March going back 
to the Poconos, that place I said I never want to go back to, and I'm going to feel those feelings, and I'm going to cry while I'm there, just so you know. And I'm probably going to laugh, too, and smile and remember and just let this stuff out and let God have the opportunity to heal. And then I'm going to go to Myrtle Beach in the summer, a place I would never want to go to ever again, but I'm going to go there, and I'm going to remember, and I'm going to cry, and I'm going to heal, and I'm going to spend that time with Father God. And I encourage you to do the same. Is this a radical idea? Is this something you've never contemplated or heard of before? I don't know. But I want to encourage you. I mean, really, take that time. Christmas is upon us. In the blink of an eye, it will be here. Let's not pretend this isn't a difficult time for so many of you in this room. And so what I want to encourage you to do, if you're struggling right now, don't pretend that you're not. Instead, take that time. Schedule an afternoon to go through the old photos. Schedule a weekend to go through that box of ornaments and have those feelings. And let, let them flow through you. Let the tears and the laughter just pour out of you. Spend that time. And for those of you in this room right now, because there are some of you, you're like, you know what? I'm not really missing anybody. I'm not really going through grief right now. Well, here's what I would say to you. Give the rest of us grace, right? We don't mean to bum you out. We're not trying to, like, you know, be party poopers when everybody's feeling festive. But just give us grace to feel our feelings. This is what we need to do together as as a community, not try and talk each other out of it, but give each other space to, to have those feelings and to give God the opportunity to meet us where we are and actually experience that healing. That's what we need. A real community and an authentic Christian community. We don't have to pretend. You don't want that from me, do you? To stand up here and pretend that I'm better than I am or that I'm not struggling. No, let's be authentic with one another. When we are physically sick, if we ignore that sickness, we almost always just end up getting sicker. When you are physically unwell and you ignore that illness, you end up getting sicker. When you are physically unwell, when you are sick and you refuse to see a doctor, you just end up getting sicker. And the same is true of grief. When we pretend that we're not struggling, that pain ends up getting worse. When it's not addressed, it just ends up becoming a bigger burden to carry. And when we don't bring that pain, when we don't bring that grief to Father God, then He doesn't have the opportunity to heal us. So let's not pretend to be better than we are. We can do all the above. We can celebrate Jesus. We can celebrate the birth of Jesus this season. We can have a very Merry Christmas, and we can be sad at the same time. These things can coexist. And so let's have that time of celebration, but also let's have the time where we can be healed of our pain, healed of our grief. Friends, you don't have to talk yourselves out of it. <laughs> spend that time one-on-one -on -one with Father God, and let's spend time together so collectively we can be healed together. Amen? Amen. As you are able... I invite you to please stand with me as I close out our worship service in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for the example you have set for us.
And Jesus, we thank you for your teaching. We thank you for your promises, the promise of your presence with us, the promise of you carrying our burdens for us. But Jesus, you also promised that in this world we would face trouble. We would face distress. You also encouraged us to take heart, for you have overcome the troubles of this world. Jesus, you said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so, Father God, we bring our joys before you, and we bring our tears. We bring our grief before you. And I pray that during this holiday season that we would be able to celebrate you, to celebrate family, to have times of laughter. But also, Father God, give us time. (laughs) Give us time to be alone with you so that we can bear our souls before you to receive the healing that only is found in you. Father God, again, I thank you for this time. You have given us a time to worship you, to celebrate you. And now that this worship service is over, we pray that you would allow our worship of you to continue. Father, let us worship you with our lives. Let us worship you with the way that we love and serve one another and by the way that we love and serve you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.